Hello, and welcome to a special edition of First Importance, the official podcast of First Baptist Church in West Memphis, Arkansas. I'm Pastor Josh Hall. And now let's go to our Bible study already in progress as Dr. Jimmy Milliken and I look at the subject of eschatology. Well, good evening, everybody. Glad to see you here on this Wednesday midweek service. And as uh, you know, we're continuing our study in eschatology. And uh, just remind you a little bit of repetition. I don't want to take up much time because I'll have a little bit difficult time covering these two topics that I'm going to be covering tonight. But uh, we're dealing with what is known as the the, uh, premillennial view of eschatology. There are several views, and uh, I might say this, though, uh, uh, that in Baptist confessions of faith, we have never really stated the particular millennial view. Now, in Baptist confessions of faith, the one that we presently have in Southern Baptist life is called the 2000 Baptist faith and uh, a, a confession of faith. Uh, you do have a statement about the literal return of Christ. Now, that's the one issue that all viewpoints uh, agree on. Whether you're an amillennialist, postmillennialist, premillennialist, they all affirm that Jesus is going to come back again to this earth visibly and personally. But uh, I'm following, and, uh, uh, and this church has had a history of following what is known as the pre-tribulation, premillennial view of eschatology. There are two, by the way, there are two uh, premillennial views. There's what is known as post-tribulation. There are some who are millennialist. They believe in a literal millennial reign of Christ, but they believe that the church or that believers are going to go through the tribulation period. But the classic one is that the, tribul- that the rapture will take place and then the tribulation period will take place. And so we've dealt with these particular subjects. I began with an introduction to uh, the, the, uh, the uh, topic of eschatology. Uh, Brother Josh has dealt with the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ. And then after the rapture, there will be a period of time on this earth that many call the Great Tribulation period. It's a seven-year period. There are a, a number of incidences in the Bible that indicate this, going all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there is what is known as the 70 weeks in Daniel. That is, Daniel prophesied there will be 70 weeks that uh, are to be fulfilled with the life of Israel, with the nation of Israel is concerned. And uh, there is a period of time between the 69th week and the 70th week. Now, these are weeks of years. We, uh, seven years make up a week of years. And so the 70th week of Daniel is what we're talking about in this, uh, in this topic of the tribulation period. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks about a prophecy concerning Jacob's trouble. And I will have a reference to that in just a moment. Uh, and that's the period of time. 
And then Jesus talked about a time when there would be a great tribulation, the like of which the world has never seen before and will never see again. And so we get that terminology from the teaching of our Lord himself. And so in this tribulation period, the seven-year period that will take place after the rapture in my uh, viewpoint, uh, there are four things. I've, I've uh, recommended that you look for four things. And I believe these four things are covered in the book of Revelation. Now, as far as the book of Revelation is concerned, uh, I've indicated that there are three main divisions of the book of Revelation, the major one of which is the things which shall be hereafter. Now, John was instructed to write three things. I want you to write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That's in chapter 1, verse 19, if you want to look that up. Now, the things which he had seen was that vision of the glorified Christ in chapter 1. The things which are is chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Jesus wrote letters to seven churches, which I believe to be uh, symbolic of all of the ages of the church. And uh, uh, that's where we are now as far as the book of Revelation is concerned. And many feel that we may very well be in that seventh period of the book of Revelation, which is called the Laodicean period. Then after that, in chapter 4, John says he uh, was instructed to write the things which shall be hereafter. After what? After the churches. And after the church is gone. Uh, and so in chapters 4 through the rest of the book is uh, a future, uh, future events. And in those future events, beginning with chapter 6, of the book of Revelation. Chapter 6 through 19 cover this particular period that we're talking about in our study, the period of the Great Tribulation. And really those, those four events, now if I were teaching the book of Revelation, which would, I'm using it quite a bit, but I'm not going through that. If I were teaching the book of Revelation, I would call attention to the fact that in and there are three, there's a series of three sevens, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of wrath. And four events, I believe, is depicted in, that, uh, uh, in those uh, series of sevens. And all four of them are introduced to us in opening of the first six seals of a seven-sealed scroll or seven-sealed book. We've talked about two of those. Here are the four events that I see developing in this brief period of time. First, there's God's dealings. Uh, there's the rise of the Antichrist, uh, depicted by that white horse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, is the time of the Antichrist, the rise of the, of the coming world ruler. There's God's dealings with the Jews, again, redemptively. Now, God has never quit dealing with the Jews. It's a rather interesting thing to look throughout history how God has preserved this particular ethnic group of our race, our human race. But uh, most Jews today are not believing. They're not, they do not accept Jesus as the Messiah. But the day is coming when they will. And in biblical prophecy, I call it the restoration of the Jews. There will be restoration geographically. God promised them a land. There will be a re restoration uh, nationally. 
Israel was split but two, in two kingdoms after the reign of Solomon, but God's going to bring them back together into one nation, and there will be restoration spiritually. They're, they're, not, they're presently in unbelief, but the time's coming as far as the book of Romans is concerned when all of the Israelites will be saved. God will be dealing with them again redemptively. And so the, there's, those are the two things we've already discussed. Now, the two other events. There is the great, there is the, uh, uh, the great tribulation or the persecution of believers. Now, that's, that's what the, we talk, call this period of time. But other things are going to be taking place in this time. But it is characterized, as far as the people of God is concerned, with tribulation or persecution. And then the fourth event is the judgment of God on the Antichrist and his kingdom. And that's called the great day of God's wrath. Now, if you look in chapter 6 and the opening of those seals, the sixth seal. The sixth seal is a depiction of the great wrath of God falling upon the uh, world and the Antichrist and his kingdom. So we're going to deal with these two things uh, this evening. And it's going to be difficult to get through. Uh, there are a lot of scripture references that I'd like to refer you to because I don't want you to get the impression that I'm just making this up in my mind, that there are biblical, there's biblical support, but it's going to be difficult to go through all the scriptures with you. So I'm going to be kind of selective to giving you some indication of uh, the scriptural support for it. Uh, the, and so as you have a guide, uh, outline guide, I start with the people involved in this tribulation, in this persecution. The Jews will be involved. Uh, as I said in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 2 through 7, is what I call a millennial or a, or a uh, a, prophet, a prophecy concerning the end times. And in that passage, he's, there's a statement about God gathering them back together, uh, restoring them geographically and nationally. And then he speaks about a time of trouble. And he calls it Jacob's trouble. Jews will be a great uh, subject matter with reference to the persecution that's going to take place. Now in that fifth seal... I call attention to the fact there are two of these events that sort of summed up in that fifth seal. When that fifth seal was opened, John saw those who were beheaded for the testimony that they gave. And that indicates that there are going to be believers in this particular period of time. And, uh, and who are those believers? Well, the Jews are going to come to the Messiah during this particular time. And they are going to be persecuted. It's interesting how there have been no peoples as persecuted as the Jews throughout the history of mankind. Going all the way back, of course, the first big persecution was in Egypt, uh, but even before that you had the patriarchs, uh, and, uh, and there have been a number of other attempts to annihilate the Jews. You know the captivity period in the Old Testament. In 722, the northern tribes are taken into Nineveh in captivity. In 587 B.C., the southern kingdom was taken into the Babylonian captivity. And then that interbiblical period, that period of time between Malachi and Matthew, a time of uh, persecution of the Jews, particularly through a, 
a Syrian king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He killed 40,000 of Jews and sold an equal number into slavery during that particular period of time. In New Testament times, in 68 AD, 20,000 people were killed, 20,000 Jews were killed in Caesarea in a single day. In uh, 70 AD, the destruction of the Jewish temple, when Titus invaded, the Romans invaded and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, 100,000 corpses were thrown over the wall of Jerusalem, and another 100,000 were uh, taken into captivity. Uh, during the Crusades, even, on the, even from so-called, uh, at least uh, in a nominal sense, Christians, the Crusades, not only were the Muslims a point of uh, persecution by the uh, cr uh, Crusaders, but also the Jews. And in our more modern times, we know the Nazis who, saw, who killed at least seven, at least six million Jews. And so the Jews are going to be a brunt of the persecution during this particular period of time. But not just the Jews, also Gentiles. In the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation, you find God sealing 144,000 Israelites. And then he continues this, and he sees a multitude of every nation, every tongue. And then the question was asked, uh, a rhetorical question, who are these? And the answer was, these are they that came out of great tribulation. Those were Gentile nations. So not only will Jews become converted during this period of time, but through, I believe, their witness, many Gentiles will be saved during this particular time, but they will receive persecution. Uh, so there have been past persecutions on the part of Jews and Christians in what we call the, the, the pagan era of Christianity in Rome. been several persecutions. The first one probably is under Nero, and then along about the close of the New Testament, Domitian, uh, the background of the book of Revelation probably, uh, and then down through uh, the Roman history, and not until, not until the conversion of the Roman emperor named Constantine in 321 AD. In the relationship of Christians to the world, you find in Rome there was a time when they were an illegal religion. They call it religion illicit, Latin. Then there came a time when they became a legal religion under Constantine. And later on, I think, unfortunately, they became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Religion illicit, religion licit, and religion officio, uh, the relationship. But during that pagan period of time, Christians suffered greatly. So there have been past tribulations. And we need to understand this, that this has always been true with reference to the people of God. Now, I've often made this statement, uh, 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 Christian friends, that to understand much of the Bible, you need to understand that there are two basic kingdoms in all reality. The kingdom of this world and the capital city, symbolic capital city of the kingdom of this world is Babylon. And then there's the kingdom of our God, the kingdom of our Christ. 
and after David, with David and afterward, the capital, symbolic capital of this city, this kingdom, has been Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and Babylon have always been in conflict. And we are a part of Jerusalem. And because of that, we are in a battle and we're going to receive persecution. So persecution of believers have always been a part of reality. Uh, in fact, uh, our Lord himself said to his disciples, he said, the servant is not greater than the master. And if the master, if they persecuted the master, they will also persecute you who are servants of the master. That's in John's Gospel, chapter 15. And then we find this statement, which has troubled me sometimes. The Apostle Paul says in, first Thess in, in second, uh, third, uh, second Timothy, chapter 3, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The truth of the matter, I've suffered very little so far for just being a Christian. But that's been, that's, that a lot of Christians have throughout the centuries and presently going on. Now, there are people who are being martyred for their testimony. But there's coming a time when there will be a universal persecution that's known as the Great Tribulation, a future tribulation coming, the like of which, as Jesus said, the world has never seen before and will never see again. And so that's the, that's the period of time that we're talking about now. Now, in this future Great Tribulation, here's, 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 the, here's the source of the tribulation. There will be political oppression. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 7, which, by the way, is uh, uh, one of the chapters where the expansion and the exposition of the Antichrist is uh, uh, developed. You find it introduced in chapter 6 with the rider on the white horse, but when you get to chapter 13, you have it, you have it detailed. And in this uh, description of the Antichrist, which is the beast, it is said this of him. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. That's political oppression. Have to give, have to give obedience to a political ruler that's coming. But then there will be religious oppression. In the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, which gives some details about this, there will be a religious leader that will rise alongside the Antichrist. He's called the second beast. And uh, he's called the prophet, the false prophet. And he will be given miraculous powers. And he will lead the world to worship the Antichrist. Let me read you these verses. Revelation 13, verses 11 through 15. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship 
the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he, and he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by sword and did live, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the beast, the image of the beast, should be killed. Religious oppression. One world government and a one world religious system. And then there will be economic oppression. Again, in chapter 13, we read these verses. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. I have expressed my admiration for W.A. Criswell, who is now with the Lord. And uh, he preached through the book of Revelation, and, and reading some of those messages in the book of Revelation, he makes reference to the fact that uh, in one of his overseas travels, he was in Istanbul, and he was a guest of a Christian man there who was a president of a Presbyterian college that had started there in Istanbul. And this uh, president was named, uh, uh, his last name was Black, uh, had married a lady from Bulgaria. And they'd lived in Bulgaria for a while when the communists took over. And in visiting with Criswell, he asked, he asked Crystal this question. Do you know what is the most powerful weapon of coercion in the world? And uh, Criswell said he hadn't thought about it, so he said no. He said it's a ration card. It's a little simple ration card. You can't work, you can't live, you can't exist without that ration card, and the communists issue you that ration card. Now they weren't talking about eschatology; they were just given. He just given a example, and so Criswell then made the observation: the economic coercion will uphold the Antichrist. What a powerful instrument of oppression. Now, I don't want to lead you to a wrong thing, to be uh, frightened. Uh, I remember very little about World War II. I was alive, and uh, my father didn't have to go to the war. He had uh, four children and was a farmer, but I had uncles that went there, and so I kept up with it. But I do remember we had rations. You know, sugar, for example. That's when the, uh, that artificial sweetener came along. Uh, and, uh, and so I want you to understand that this oppression, both political and economic, has a religious aspect to it. One has to give absolute obedience and not only obedience, such as obeying laws, but worship 
of the Antichrist. And, and the sign that you have given, uh, the person has given his worship to the Antichrist will be some kind of a sign, a mark. And without that mark, a person can't buy or sell. It's almost impossible to live in that kind of society. It will be an economic oppression. And so the, uh, uh, the oppression, it will be political, it will be religious, it will be economic. Now the outcome of this tribulation, the outcome, many will be killed. Many will be martyred, as I've already indicated in, in uh, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 about that great, what I call a blood-washed multitude. Because they're washed in the blood of the Lamb, that means they were saved. And who are these? They are they that came out of great tribulation. There are those who were beheaded because of their testimony. And so many will be martyred. But there will be, as always, a remnant preserved. It's quite interesting that 144,000, God sealed them and God protected them. Now, they, I believe, will be Israelites, but it may also be indication of not only the Israelite, say, uh, uh, Israelite Christians, but also uh, Gentile Christians. But in chapter 7, God sealed 144,000. If you'll turn over to Revelation chapter 11 after great calamities have taken place, persecution, and even the judgments of God, there was 144,000 still alive. God preserved a remnant, and he always has. In the great persecutions on the part of Jews in the Old Testament times, how the nation was laid waste and captivities took place, yet God preserved a remnant. And so in the outcome of the tribulation, the outcome of the persecution, many will suffer death, but God will preserve a remnant even during this particular period of time. You know, that's a puzzling thing. The Bible uses an expression called the mystery of iniquity. That's found in the book of Revelation, by the way. The mystery of iniquity has ended. And I wonder what that means, but there are a lot of mysteries. For example, there's James the Apostle that was beheaded. Acts chapter 12 and there's Peter miraculously delivered from jail why I don't know but God is demonstrating his sovereignty there are many who suffer but there will be a remnant preserved during this particular period of time now the second event during this period the fourth event rather the two we already discussed the rise of the Antichrist, God's dealings with the Jews again redemptively, the great persecution of the saints, and then there's the judgments of God, which is described as the great day of God's wrath during this particular period of time. Much of the attention of the book of Revelation and the opening of the seven seals 
you do have just one of those seals and the sixth seal and the mountains were falling. The people were calling for the mountains to fall upon them for the great day of his wrath has come. Now when the trumpets are sounded, details of that great day of God's wrath are unfolded. And then when the bowls, the vials of wrath are poured out in that third series of sevens, you find the judgments of God expounded, the, the great day of his wrath. And so we're sort of trying to sum up this particular aspect of the tribulation period. They're the objects of God's wrath. The objects of God's wrath, there's the Antichrist kingdom, the system, uh, the Antichrist political system. Now, in the book of Revelation, uh, going, getting pretty close to the end, uh, after all havoc is discussed, in chapter 17 and 18, in chapter, you find that section introduced like this, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And I believe there's a reason why the two references, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. In chapter 17, that's ecclesiastical Babylon. That's the church. That's the false church, the apostate church, the religious system. In chapter 18, that's the political and commercial aspect of the kingdom of the Antichrist. And both of them you find coming to an end. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And so there's the judgment on the Antichrist system. There's a judgment upon the followers of the Antichrist. Uh, a number of references throughout the book of Revelation going all the way back to the introductory section in chapter 6, verse 15, chapter 8, verse 13, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and then at the conclusion with the battle of Armageddon in chapter 19, you find... All of these included the, the system as well as the followers, those who had the mark of the beast are destroyed. And then there's the judgment on the Antichrist himself. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, I do want to read that. And the beast was taken, and, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which when he deceived them, that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, I don't want to confuse you about this because, uh, and, and this probably introduced you to something that needs explanation, but do you know the first people in the lake of fire? You know, in the book of Revelation chapter 20, which is the great white throne judgment that I think is assigned me, you find all those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. But the Antichrist and the false prophet are the first ones to be cast there. Now, here's an interesting thing, but when, a people, when people die without Christ according to the story that Jesus gives us about Lazarus and the rich man. When a person dies without Christ, he is tormented now 
in flames. But here's the truth that I see in the scriptures, folks, is that the final penalty to the lost people, the final form of punishment, will not be until after the judgment. And the final reward of believers, Brother Josh talked about the judgment seat of Christ. When the person dies, they don't go to the reward. It's not until after the resurrection and we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason for this, and I don't know how, I don't know how to describe an intensity or a difference in the punishment in hell that's going on now and what will take place when their bodies will be raised and they will be cast body and soul into the lake of fire. I don't know how to describe the difference in the degrees of punishment. But uh, uh, when a person dies, they go to a place of torment, but that's not their final punishment that's going to take place. Uh, well, I'll mention that when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. The reason why is your works do not end with your death. When you die, you go to be with the Lord, but your works continue, sometimes for bad, but hopefully for good. And it goes on, on, and on. Uh, and so uh, uh, the, the objects of God's wrath, the judgment of the Antichrist system, the judgment of the uh, followers of the Antichrist, and the judgment of the Antichrist himself. Now, the instruments of God's wrath in this period of time is depicted throughout the opening of the seals and the blowing of the trumpets and the pouring out of the bowls of wrath. God will use physical nature to bring judgment. And uh, uh, again, my time is rapidly coming to an end, but if you read those uh, trumpet judgments, and the bowls of wrath, you'll find that God's judgments upon the elements of nature and even the, even the celestial bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars and the sea and the fresh water and vegetation, all will be instruments of God's judgment upon the Antichrist and his kingdom. Human beings, God will use human beings as instruments of his judgment. Uh, there's an interesting thing which uh, I know will just probably uh, arouse your interest. The two witnesses in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. Two witnesses will rise during this period of time. And God will give them miraculous powers and they themselves will bring judgment upon the Antichrist. Now, they'll be killed and stay in the streets of Jerusalem for three days, but, uh, uh, but, and they'll be ascended to heaven. But uh, God will use those two witnesses to give them miraculous powers, probably reminiscent of God using Moses to bring the plagues upon uh, Egypt and God using Elijah to bring, and Elisha to bring judgment upon uh, the Assyrians. Of the Syrians, and uh, and there will be uh, the Antichrist will not have everything his way. God will arouse some of the nations to rebel against the Antichrist to contribute to the downfall of the Antichrist system. 
and then God will use spiritual beings. Human beings, natural elements. Uh, you find an angel in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 15 that God was saying to bring great destruction. And then God will unleash a demonic activity in chapter 9 in verses 1 through 3. A strange description of locusts coming up out of the bottomless pit. Locust-like creatures. But you look at the description of that. These are intelligent beings. These are not just insects. And I believe they are representative of demonic unleashing upon the uh, world at this particular time. So God will use uh, physical nature. He will use uh, human beings. And he will use spiritual beings to bring judgment to, uh, to uh, bring his wrath upon the uh, Antichrist. Well, finally, the response and the outcome. A very sad thing about the response to God's wrath. A refusal to repent. That may surprise some of you. But in chapter 9, after God pouring out his wrath, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor, nor walk, neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorcerers, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The hardness of an unregenerate heart. In the story that Jesus gives us about Lazarus and the rich man, and then spends most of his attention describing the condition of the rich man who in hell lift up his eyes, being in torments. And when there was no hope for him, he said, well, send Lazarus back. More my brothers. I've got, I've got some brothers in the same shape I've been. And Jesus says, if they will not listen to the law and the prophets, they will not listen, though one be raised from the dead to come back to them. My friends, miracles do not change people's minds. It's only the grace of God that can do it. And so they repented not. Even when all these cataclysmic happenings are taking place, yet they repented not. Not only did they not repent, they blasphemed God. Spit out vile words against the God who bring judgment upon them. And then finally, there's the outcome of God's judgments. The outcome, of course, is described in chapter 17, 18, and 19. As I've already said, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. And in chapter 19, after the Battle of Armageddon, which brings a climax to this particular period of time, here's the description. And I saw the beast... And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken 
and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, in which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain. And the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That brings up an interesting question. So many things that need to, well, in, in, in going through a summary of, of this whole subject, is who will go into the millennium? There seemed to be some indication that at the beginning of the millennium, there will be those who have been raptured, which will be me. And I hope you will be brought back with Jesus. And we will be in the millennium. And then all of those who are saved during the tribulation period will go into the millennium. And the question is, will any of those who have the mark of the beast, and apparently not, because not only will the false prophet and the antichrist be cast in the lake of fire, but all the remnant, that is those who were not destroyed in the wrath of God in the tribulation period, will actually be alive and go into the millennium in chapter 20. Well, uh, Brother Josh will maybe make a reference to that, who's going to be involved in the millennium. He's going to be dealing with the millennium next week when he gets back. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.